Traveling alone through the forest in the Philippines is not any less scary than it is in the other forests around the world. There's a creature that dwells there who has no good intentions. He waits for travelers to trick and confuse. He causes them not only to become lost physically, but sometimes mentally as well. Usually, the tormenting of his victims only lasts a few hours or days. But if your soul is dark and full of sin, he may just decide to make a meal of you because he can't resist the taste of evil. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters, both ancient and modern. Today we're discussing the Tick Belong, a demonic half-man, half-horse creature from Filipino folklore. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. And for those YouTube fans out there, you can now find your favorite Freaky Folklore episodes with videos on YouTube. Warning! Please note that this episode contains depictions of violence, sex work, and drug use that some listeners may find disturbing. If dark history and unexplainable events are your bread and butter, I want to let you know about our friends over at Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is a podcast that takes you into the legends, folklore, and some of the darker history of the American South. Brandon, the host, captivates in each episode with immersive storytelling and in-depth research, all tied together with vivid sound design. If you're interested in Southern Gothic, I recommend starting with the episode about the mystery of the Confederate submarine H.L. Hunley in which the first successful combat submarine mysteriously disappeared off the coast of Charleston. Now, if y'all are ready to head out into the swamp and give Southern Gothic a listen, head over to southerngothicmedia.com forward slash follow for links to all of your favorite podcast apps. That's southerngothicmedia.com slash follow. That is, if you dare. Issa walked down the dark street and stretched her arms up high, taking in a deep breath as she did so. It was as if she was taking in her entire atmosphere as she breathed. The night air was humid and smelled of rain. If it were any other night and she was any other person, Issa would be home relaxing in Manila with her family. Unfortunately for her, that wasn't the case. The last five years had taken a real toll on her. She grew up normal enough, 
with the same opportunities as anyone she knew. Her parents had been strict. School, home, and church were the places she was allowed to go, though Issa always wanted more than that. She wanted excitement and adventure. That excitement and adventure came in the form of a much older boy than her. His name was Bobby, and Issa adored him. He had been considered a troublemaker by most of the neighborhood. Truth be told, he was, and that's what attracted Issa to him in the first place. It didn't start off bad. He would beg Issa to skip school to spend the day with him, or ask her to lie to get out of going to church. It didn't take long, though, for his requests to become more sinister. Bobby would ask Issa to steal from her parents to get them money. He also started to try and get her to do drugs with him. And of course, she tried to say no, but was eventually bullied into trying everything he did. Then the night came when Bobby asked Issa to pretend to like a guy so that she could lure him into an alley. She did as she was asked, and when the boy followed her, Bobby and his friends jumped him. She watched as they beat this kid and took his money and his shoes. Issa would have loved to say that it disgusted her, or at least that she didn't agree with such a horrible action. Though to her surprise, she heard herself laughing as she made fun of the guy for screaming when they broke his arm. After that, Issa began to spiral out of control. Her drug addiction had taken a tight hold of her, only to be matched by her obsession with Bobby. She had enough of dealing with her parents, so she left home and stayed with a friend. It was then that Issa got into prostitution, an idea that Bobby had given her to help bring in some extra cash. She didn't really mind, as long as she got high enough. She could ignore some of the inconvenient facts about her life. But something soon changed about her love of Bobby, though. He had become distant and increasingly violent toward her. One night, during an argument, he slapped her. For a moment, Issa lost herself in rage. She picked up a cutting board off the kitchen counter and busted it over Bobby's head. She then began stomping him so hard and as fast as she could. Issa realized she wasn't even afraid of him. As a matter of fact, she not only desired confrontation with him, she enjoyed it. She ran out of the house and made the decision that she didn't need him anymore. Or anyone for that matter. Issa moved a couple of towns away. She was smart enough to know Bobby would be seeking revenge if he, in fact, survived the attack. A thought that Issa found herself giggling out loud to as soon as it went through her head. She found shelter in Danau City. Then she broke into an abandoned shack that sat back in a wooded area away from the main roads and decided there she would make her new home. There was only one problem with her new life. She needed money for drugs. Thankfully, her old friends had taught her the skills she needed to take care of those things. And there were plenty of opportunities to make money easily on the streets of Danau City without having to get a job. She already had the skills she needed to take what she needed, so she would hunt, alone from now on. At first, it was a little frightening, attacking someone by herself. 
though Issa had already learned she had a talent for violence. It didn't take a lot of skill or know-how. All she needed was to be willing to hurt someone. And so, when she started running low on money, one of her favorite things to do was to go hunting, as she called it. Issa would wait until dark, then go find someone walking by themselves. She would follow them until no one was around, and then strike them over the head with a small bat. Most of the time, once was enough, but every once in a while, it took more than one hit. And that bothered Issa, because it took more time and hindered her quick escape. So here she was, going hunting again. She had her bat hidden in her jacket and was following an older man. Earlier, she had seen him withdraw a lot of money from the ATM. So Issa felt like he would be a good target, as long as he stayed on foot and didn't get into his car. She was excited when she saw that he didn't. He was dressed rather casually, wearing a t-shirt and jeans. He strolled down the street as if he didn't have a care in the world. This made Issa nervous because he might stop and spend some of the money she had been hoping to relieve him of. After almost two hours of watching him wander around, the man finally made his way to the city outskirts. She watched as he jumped onto a guardrail and began walking towards the nearby forest. Something that had shocked her, but also had piqued her interest. Issa had been in town for a while and had never seen anyone going or coming from the woods other than her, though the location would be perfect for her intentions. You're going to make this too easy, aren't you? She whispered under her breath. Issa had to run as he had gone into the trees, and she had already lost sight of him. She realized there was a small path but had to slow down. It was dark, and she hadn't brought a flashlight with her. As she continued to follow him, she tripped over a branch and fell to the ground. Picking herself up, she stood quietly, listening for movement, hoping to hone in on her intended prey. She heard a stick snap and made her way off the path to the source of the sound. In the distance, she could make out a silhouette of what seemed to be a person. Issa grabbed her bat and thought to herself, let's get this over with. The figure bent down in an action that looked like someone might be trying to tie their shoe. She took this as her moment and swung the bat with all of her force in the direction of his head. She felt the impact that also made a large cracking sound. The figure slumped to the ground. Issa let out a sigh of relief and said, I almost didn't get you. Now where are you hiding your money? As she went through his pockets, she grabbed a money clip. She could only assume it was money, based on the feel of it. Issa also found a small object attached to some keys. As she messed with the object for a moment, she realized it could be a pocket flashlight. To her relief, she clicked a small button and it brought forth a beam of light. Issa mumbled, that's better. Shining the light on the money clip, she was happy to see it indeed contained cash. Standing up to walk away, a thought crossed her mind. She hadn't heard the man groaning or whimpering the way they normally did. She shined the light on the man's face and gasped. His eyes were wide open, 
and his tongue was slightly protruding from his mouth. There was blood coming from his nose, and there appeared to be clear fluid running out of his ears. Issa couldn't believe it. She hadn't hit him that hard. Or at least, she didn't think she had. She pointed the flashlight at the back of his head that revealed a very ugly wound. His head was split four to five inches across the back, and it appeared to be oozing a clear liquid mixed with blood. Trying to get her mind around the situation, Issa stepped back a few feet. Somehow, it felt better to put distance between her and the disgusting scene before her. She realized she had to hide the body well enough that she could get away, far away, before it was discovered. So she drugged the man by the ankles to the side of the path and rolled him down an embankment. His body rolled faster than she'd expected, picking up speed quickly and finally crashing into a grove of bamboo trees at the bottom. Relieved that she had successfully hid her crime with little effort, she turned to walk away, but paused when she heard high-pitched laughter coming from the direction she had rolled the body. She turned and looked back, but didn't see anything, and thought it must have been her nervous imagination playing tricks on her. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A tick belong is a strange, shape-shifting trickster spirit, commonly thought to be a demon, that's said to haunt certain places in the Philippine countryside. It's allegedly a looming humanoid creature that lives in the Philippine highlands and jungles. It's frequently depicted as a centaur in reverse. The tick belong has a horse's head and a human's body, unlike the centaur, which has a horse's body and a man's torso and head. Despite variations in description, 
They are typically thought to be tall, bony animals with arms that are disproportionately long compared to their bodies. For instance, the creature's long, narrow legs make it so that when it squats down, its knees are higher than its head. It's typically claimed to have feet that resemble those of animals, generally horses. According to some myths, it originated from a human pregnancy that was aborted, sent back to Earth, and then trapped in limbo. In some cultures, Tikbalongs have the ability to change into people and even vanish. One of the Tikbalongs' techniques is to assume the physical form of a friend, family member, or another individual very close to any travelers it may come across in the wild. Then, it manifests itself to the victim in this well-known form, seeming to know the way and leading them to a location far from the help of others by leading them through the shadowy woods or along isolated mountain paths. When the Tikbalong is ready to show itself, the victim might smell tobacco before seeing their guide's face and body blur as it transforms from that of the victim's relative or friend into its real monstrous form. Those few unfortunate individuals that have been unlucky enough to have such an encounter have been known to wander into towns or villages while rambling or ranting erratically. People who have attempted to assist them claim that the unlucky individual will recount how they were repeatedly pushed, hit, and knocked to the ground. All they could do during this torture was giggle tensely like they were kids. The more they struggled, the worse they were treated, but eventually they gave up. They discovered themselves lost and alone in the forest at night. Some people believe that Tikbalongs are just playful spirits rather than malevolent ones, and that they only eat evil people or those who don't pray the Angelus, a type of Catholic devotion. That may be the case, but they can be terrifying nonetheless, and according to legend, one of the Tikbalongs' tricks is to misdirect and confuse lone travelers. They will always come back to the same spot in the forest, regardless of which way they turn. This can go on for days, until the Tikbalong becomes bored with the game. Sometimes a victim will lose all contact with his family and friends and disappear totally. Because of their many unfavorable traits, Tikbalongs are frequently avoided by people. They're supposed to be swindlers who try to deceive travelers into getting lost or going in circles. The shrewd traveler, however, may fend off Tikbalongs by dressing in their inside-out shirt. It's also possible to avoid upsetting or disturbing known Tikbalong layers by traveling discreetly through the forest or by asking aloud for permission to pass by one. They are rumored to enjoy the tops of ficus trees, as well as bamboo and banana plantations. They occasionally can be spotted chewing tobacco while sitting in the highest branches of trees. A Tikbalong's favorite living space is beneath bridges. The Tagalog people of the Rizal province of the Philippines have a belief that Tikbalongs were kind-hearted forest protectors. The natural powers that caused the trees and plants to grow and the land to flourish in an area that became their realm were controlled by these spirits. They were rumored to set up shop at the base of big trees and keep watch for anyone who might pose a threat to their domain. When rain falls from a clear sky in the Philippines, people say that a Tikbalong is getting married. When magical or mischievous creatures get married, numerous civilizations from throughout the globe have similar proverbs. 
For instance, a Spanish saying claims that a witch is getting married when it rains on a sunny day. According to certain legends, Tikbalongs were once very attractive ladies who lived to be extremely old. Another claims that they will only take a bath on full moon nights. A Tikbalong is occasionally said to fall in love and become infatuated with a mortal, according to legend. If someone has an urge to try taming a Tikbalong the right way, it's doable. When tamed, Tikbalongs can make very helpful servants. But it's crucial to keep the following things in mind. Tikbalongs have a thick mane that consists of sharp spines. The three thickest spines are the important ones to identify for those who want to tame a Tikbalong. According to Filipino tradition, it's possible to tame and train a Tikbalong by obtaining one of these three spines, which will give the holder of the spine power over the beast, and the Tikbalong will then be their servant. The form of the Tikbalong traces back 4,000 years ago, with roots in Hinduism, which explains how that influence evolved into the mysterious half-horse creature known today. Animism was a prevalent belief system among the ancient Filipinos. They thought that everything had a consciousness and that the sun, moon, water, animals, stones, trees, mountains, and other natural objects all have a spirit or idol, a kind of secret force. This power was thought to have some control over certain parts of life, while it may also be harmful to the spirit. Father Juan de Placentia recorded the long-standing Tikbalong consciousness of indigenous peoples in 1589, in the early years of the Spanish occupation. In 200 CE, Hinduism, which had its roots in India, began to spread throughout Southeast Asia as Indian cultural influence migrated there via trade routes. Hayagriva, a manifestation of the Hindu god Vishnu, may have been the source of Tikbalong. In 2000 BCE, Hayagriva worship was noted. The depictions of the Serena, the Tikbalong, and enormous flying birds are directly out of Hindu art. The idea of a multi-layered universe with heaven and hell had a big influence on religion as well. Association with the Tikbalong began around the 1860 discovery of a statue in Cambodia during the 10th century. It featured the demons that the most extreme Vishnu avatar represented. Buddhism eventually transformed Hayagriva's image into a little horse's head floating in a fiery crown. One of the keepers of the infernal demon Hayagriva was depicted in China in an ancient picture with horses. The Tikbalong most likely experienced the same thing when the Filipinos absorbed it into their beliefs after appropriating it through trade. Chinese traders settled in the Philippines 900 years before the arrival of the Spaniards and employed horses. At that time, the Tikbalong probably began to evolve. As colonialism and globalism took their toll on the Filipino mindset, the concept of Tikbalong evolved. The first descriptions of these mythical creatures didn't define horse or animal anatomy because there were no horses in the Philippines prior to the advent of the Spanish. As a result of this, they were referred to in the pre-colonial era as ghosts and spirits of the forest. Later, as horses were introduced from China and Japan by the Spanish colonial authority, tales of their looking horse-like gradually became the norm. The Tikbalong has shown up in popular culture over the years. It was discussed in an episode of the web series produced by the Aswang Project. The episode is titled, Tikbalong, the Horse Demon. The episode traces back the origin of the Tikbalong's image to India, 
circa 2000 BCE, and follows its evolution to the modern day. The Tikbalong also made it to the West in an episode of Lost Girl, a sci-fi supernatural drama. Hopefully, we will see the Tikbalong make more appearances in the future, but not in real life, just on the big screen. Lightning lit up the night sky, and Issa realized she needed to hurry if she didn't want to get caught in the rain. She had a little bit of stash left that she had hidden away from Bobby, so she wouldn't have to find a new dealer right away. She cut across the street when she was sure no one was around to see her and ducked into the woods. It was a short walk from there to the little shack she had claimed. It was beginning to sprinkle, and even though the trees were canopy enough to keep the raindrops off her for now, she could hear the pitter-patter sounds as they hit the leaves. The shack shouldn't be much farther, but she got distracted when she saw someone leaning against one of the trees ahead. Hey! She yelled. Who's there? As she drew closer, she could see that it was a strangely tall man. He had his head ducked until he heard her voice. Then he slowly raised up to look at her. Issa suddenly froze when she recognized the face. It was Bobby. But how did he find her here? He wouldn't even be able to get around well yet if he had survived that beating. It had barely been a few days. He straightened to his full height and Issa felt confused. The face was Bobby's, but he was impossibly tall when Bobby was average in height. Issa bolted dashing through the forest as fast as she could. She had always been faster than him, so outrunning him wasn't a problem. She ran until she was out of breath, hoping to circle back around to the shack once she was sure he was gone. She leaned up against a tree. The rain was really pouring down now, and her clothes were soaked through. She was about to take off again when something large crashed down from the tree and landed in front of her. It was a woman who looked very familiar. The woman stood in front of Issa, and she stared up in awe into the face of her mother. How could this be possible? It had been ages since she had seen her mother, yet here she was, standing in front of her, standing very, very tall. Issa knew something was wrong. She shouldn't be seeing her mother or Bobby here in the forest. And they didn't look right. Something about them. Issa was beginning to suspect that what she was seeing wasn't human at all. Issa, who feared almost nothing, who beat and robbed more grown men than she could count, was suddenly scared. She stared into her mother's face and watched as it began to change. The skin twisted and stretched until it became Bobby's face again. Then it began to change again until it had turned into her father. He looked down at her and spoke. Issa, I'm disappointed in you. You're a junkie. You're a thief. And worst of all, you're a murderer. Issa let out a scream that didn't even sound like her own voice, and she turned and ran again, as if her life depended on it. She ran in the direction she thought led to her shack, but she kept 
ending up back at the same tree, over and over again. Hysteria was beginning to take hold of her, and she started to laugh. She stopped running and wrapped her arms around her midsection, trying to stop the uncontrollable feelings inside of her, a mixture of fear and hysteria. Her thoughts were becoming jumbled. She was struggling to differentiate between reality and the imaginary. Moments before, the forest was filled with the smell of rain, but now she could smell tobacco burning, as if someone was smoking a cigar. Issa jumped when high-pitched laughter rippled through the air around her. She spun around looking for its source, afraid of what she would find. She saw nothing, even though the sound of vile laughter danced around her. She was becoming dizzy. Her head began to throb until it felt like it would burst, and she swallowed back bile as her stomach began to boil with nausea. Issa fell to her knees, with rain pouring off her soaked body. She squeezed her eyes tight, trying to get a grip on her sanity. When she opened them, she was staring down at a pair of hooves. She reached out to touch them, to see if they were real, but when she did, one lifted into the air and gave her a kick right in the forehead. She flew backwards as the white light of pain took her vision from her momentarily. When she was able to see again, she could just make out the tall figure standing in front of her. It wasn't her father this time, or her mother, or Bobby. This time, it was a beast. Standing before her was a tall, lanky creature, naked except for a loincloth. On its shoulders sat the head of a horse with glowing, white-blue eyes. Issa opened her mouth to speak, but it charged her and planted a hoof right in her stomach. Her body lurched backwards several feet as she struggled unsuccessfully for air. Issa lay there, suffocated by pain, with blood running into her eyes. The creature stepped towards her, kneeled and then spoke. Normally, I would just play tricks and confuse you for trespassing in my forest. But you're different. I smell the stench of addiction, greed, and death on you. And evil tastes so good. He ran his long, hoarse tongue across his jagged teeth, opened his mouth wide, and took a big bite. Issa's screams filled the night air. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Destination Terror and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. 
You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss Vita Carnis, another contemporary folklore story. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.